Let me give a little uh, warning. If you have kids in here, teenagers, that you don't want to hear this sermon, we have kids' church available next door because this sermon is entitled, are you listening? A Sermon About Sex. Turn to your neighbor and say, no, you don't have to do that. (laughs) I've got to tell you that in the 30 years or so that I've been preaching, this is the first time I'm going to preach or teach a sermon about sex. And uh, I know there are some people out there right now going, oh, and, uh, you know, maybe feeling like this is a subject for a different place and a different time. Um, But I really feel like this is necessary in this day, in this age, for us to talk about uh, sex and what God's plan is for sex. And that's really what I want to get at today is God's plan, God's design for sex. So if you've got kids that need to go, that's fine. You can just send them over. Some of you might want them to hear this. Um, uh, at the same time, it's not. I'm not going to get into you know anything that would be... And you can watch a commercial on TV and hear more stuff than what I'm going to talk about today. So uh, it's not going to be that uh, adult in nature. But I do want to talk to you today about God's plan for sex. And I want to start off with a, a simple sentence that sex is a good thing. Can somebody go, woohoo? Yeah! Sex is a good, wonderful thing. And uh, you might not think we need to talk about it, but actually we do. And uh, I want to give you some some of the reasons why we need to talk about this topic. Uh, One, we were created as sexual beings. That's how God created us. God created sex, and it is good. Some of you need to write that down. God created sex. Sex is not an evil thing that came because Adam and Eve fell, and it's just uh, the worst, and and people do it, and you're never supposed to talk about it, and you feel guilty about it. That is certainly not the case at all. God created sex, and he has a design and a plan for everyone's sex life. It's an actual God design, and it's a good design. And I want you to know today that I'm not here to judge you personally. I'm not here to get into your past or dig into even your present today. What I'm here to do is actually tell you God's plan, and then you can make your choices about how you're going to live your life. And hopefully you will see from uh, what we talk about today that the best place is in God's design. Amen. The best place to be is in God's design. So please don't think that I'm trying to judge you or get you to be like me or anything else. You may disagree with me about the subject, but uh, it is what I believe the Bible teaches about sex. And uh, maybe some kind of, maybe this is an approach that you've never thought of before. And I know a lot of people are thinking when they hear Christians, preachers talk about this subject is that, okay, well, now here comes the rules. Here comes the problems. Here comes the don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And that's really the absolute wrong way to look at it. Uh, and, and let me give you an example. If you were walking along the beach and you found, like, say, a, a, a turtle that was stuck and couldn't get back in the water, you would be doing that turtle a favor by picking it up and putting it back in the ocean, wouldn't you? And the reason is not that you're trying to limit the turtle from where it goes. It's because you know that if you put it in the environment that it was created to live in, that's where it's going to thrive. And my goal today is to try to get you and your sex life and the way you think about it into the place 
where God designed so that you can actually thrive there. Are you getting this? Do you understand it's really not about rules or limitations? It's about design and what God has designed you for. Uh, and I want to look. Some of you may be thinking, oh, he's about to go back into the 50s and the 60s. And he's about to go back into where, uh, you know, when, when uh, people were shut up in rooms and they couldn't talk about anything. And, and I, listen, I'm not going back to the 50s and 60s. I'm not, I'm not even going back 100 years or 1,000 years. I'm going to go back all the way to the beginning of time before anything was. And God created Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. Look what Jesus says in Mark 10, 6 through 9. He says, but from the beginning of creation, the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You ever been to a wedding and heard something like this? This is a picture of the marriage covenant. This is a picture of uh, God designing the connection between one man and one woman together in matrimony, in marriage. Jesus said, and this is what I want you to really get, is that from the beginning, this is the way it was supposed to be, from the beginning of creation. So you might think that so, so the way society views sex is started this way and now we're progressing and we're growing and we're learning and science teaches us things and society's more open. And Jesus in this scripture is telling us, I don't care where society is, from the beginning, the designer and the creator of this says it's this way. Have you got that? And and if we believe in God and we believe in the word of God and we believe that God designed sex uh, for mankind, then we have to look at what he says about it and believe what he says about it and not what the world says about it. Are you still with me? Come on. Uh, and there, you know, everybody has a million different opinions, which is why I try to get into the word of God and see what God says about it. Sex is an amazing thing. It's good. It's a powerful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It is uh it is so powerful. In fact, I want to I wanna make a little uh, illustration, metaphor. I'm going to compare sex to a lawnmower today. Okay, is everybody with me? <laughs> sex to a lawnmower. Uh, in, in the late 70s, a rumor went around that there was a person, a guy who went to Sears, bought a lawnmower, and uh, he, he was mowing his lawn, and he noticed that his brushes uh, needed to be trimmed. His hedges needed trimmed, but he had nothing to trim them with, so he took his new lawnmower, and he bent over, and he picked it up, while it was running, and he, he held it over the top of his hedges to trim the top of his hedges and eventually cut some of his fingers off. And then he sued Sears because he used their lawnmower to cut some of his fingers off. Now I looked this up, and it seems like this is sort of a, a made-up story that lawyers use to teach uh, classes and stuff. Uh, but it just seems so real and so right, doesn't it? Because that's the way people are, right? It's like you do something and you use it the wrong way. You get injured and you want to blame somebody else for it. The reason I want to compare sex to a lawnmower, because a lawnmower is powerful. When it starts up, it has the capacity to do some amazing, wonderful things. And yet if you use it in the wrong way, it has the ability to do some horrible, terrible, awful things. Such is the state of sex today in the world. If it's used the way God designed it to be used, it does wonderful, powerful, incredible things. 
But if it's used in the wrong way, it can cause hurt, devastation, terrible things happening. And I want you to understand that God designed sex to be powerful. While a lot of people have reduced sex to just sort of a transaction of pleasure, doesn't really matter, doesn't have any purpose to it. Hey, we're just going to have fun for a little while. It's casual and doesn't mean anything. I came to tell you today that it is powerful. And that even if you use a condom or protection, that doesn't keep you from experiencing some of the powerful parts of having sex. It's the way God designed it. Sex is a powerful thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, no, no just don't do that. <laughs> We're going to have fun today. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Chapter 1, 27 and 28 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Let me say that again. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and everything that lives on the earth. I want you to notice something about this. God says, be fruitful and multiply to Adam and Eve, fill the earth before the fall. What does that tell you? Sex is not a product of the fall. It's not a nasty, dirty thing that's a product of sin. No, sex was created by God before the fall. It is beautiful and wonderful if it is done in the right context. Is everybody still with me? I know some of you younger people are going, I hate hearing an old man talk about sex. Wow. Just hang loose. We're going to live through this. Praise the Lord. And let me go to Genesis 2, 18 through 25, 18 through 25. Then the Lord said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had given or had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then man said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. The reason, I think he pronounced it this way. Whoa, man. <laughs> That's where you get women from. He saw her and was like, okay. Yeah, this is nice, God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Woo. Uh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man his, and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Genesis two twenty five. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. I love that. Sex is a good thing created by God from the very beginning. He had planned that a man and a woman would be joined together in a covenant relationship and something deep and profound would happen between them. This is what people aren't getting about the marriage relationship is the deep, profound union and connection that happens when two people come together. Now, there is a, a lot of good things 
about sex, and I want to talk about three of the main things that we can uh, key in on today. And uh, the first one is simply the pleasure, the enjoyment of experiencing each other together. When when a husband and wife experience each other together, they can express love. There's there's a natural urge that people have, and then there's a fulfillment of that urge within uh, sex, and that's the way God designed it to be. There is pleasure in that, and that's a good thing, and it's a powerful thing, and it can draw people together. It can help them express their love for one another. It's a wonderful and powerful uh, pleasure. Uh, The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And I can tell you right now, God gave us this so that we could enjoy it uh, and enjoy the pleasure of it. Second thing that is powerful about sex but wonderful is kids. I mean, there's this amazing thing. We had this discussion, I think, at pastor's meeting. is like, okay, if, if God creates every human being and yet two people come together they have sex and and that's how babies are made how does that work did god pre-plan it uh was it destined to be or does he wait for two people to come together and then breathes the spirit into them and can i tell you that it it's really a mystery we don't know that but i would i probably would like to i would lean on the side of that when two people have sex god knew it was going to happen he foreknows everything even though he didn't make it happen and of course there is a, a breath a life that's put into that baby so when an egg is conceived it's not just a biological thing that happens There is something spiritual. Life has to come and be breathed into it from God Almighty. There's this amazing thing that happens. And I always, I like to look at new moms uh, because the way they love their children, like they've never loved anything else before. And I always tell them, the way you love your kids, that's the way God loves you. I mean, you're getting a small taste of how God loves you. Also, it's how your mom loved you. And uh, you probably ought to give her a call and tell you, hey, you know, I know what, you're pretty awesome after all. Hallelujah. Right? Amen? It's an amazing thing to have children and they they look like you and they act like you and they they have a piece of you in their life and and it's this amazing thing that like a part of you is going to live on. It's a, a, a powerful thing how that two people can come together and through sex, God creates a new human being. What a powerful, amazing thing. Third thing that is powerful and wonderful about sex is the union that it brings between husband and wife. The, the Bible says that two become one flesh. That means they're connected in ways that they could never be connected in another way. It is an expression. They're physically connected. Then they are emotionally connected. Now, let me just stop right here and tell you a secret. If you're a dude out there and you're notching your bedpost, so to speak, and you think that you can detach your emotions from the intimacy that you're having, first of all, you're not going to do it. It's not just women who get emotionally attached through sex. And if God forbid you ever get that you are disconnected, you should be very afraid because you may never return to a place where you can enjoy the intimacy and emotional connection that God had planned for you in the first place. It is not a good thing. God planned that you come together and that you become emotionally connected, physically connected, and even soulfully connected, like the depths of your soul. When when God says two become one flesh, it doesn't just mean that two bodies come together. It means that two souls come together. It means that you become one in person with each other. It's like like, uh, this coming May, Kathy and I will have been married 35 years. 
Hallelujah. And uh, I don't know who Mylon is without Kathy. I don't know what that would even look like. Who would I even be without her? Because we are one flesh. And the longer we're together, the more we recognize and the more that is enhanced and grows and becomes good and wonderful. And listen, I would not trade a promiscuous life for a life with my wife for anything in the world. If you don't know what that's like, you are missing it. Amen. It is the best We've been married 35 years and we are not only physically, emotionally connected, we are soulfully connected. There is something mysterious about marriage, something mysterious about the joining of two people. We can't really grasp it or put our hands on it, but God says two people become one. What an amazing thing. What an incredible thing to think about and experience. Yes, sex has some wonderful, amazing, powerful things that people are missing out on because they're doing it all wrong. Come on. That's right. Sex, when it gets outside of God's plan, can get to be a mess. Because instead of it being a, a pleasure that's satisfied the way it should be, it becomes lust. And the Bible talks about lust. It just, lust is this thing that drives a person and is never satisfied. Come on. It's like it's never enough. You got to have one more conquest, one more experience, one more thing, one more date, one more this, one more that. And, and you know, people, uh, uh, it's been, it's been uh, proven over and over again that people have this stair step. It's like sexually they get, uh, this level's not good enough, so I got to go to another level and become more promiscuous. And I got to pursue other things and experiment with other things and do other things because there's never any satisfaction when you're just running around pursuing lust and trying to satisfy the physical needs of your body come on somebody come on it doesn't matter why you're trying to satisfy him all that matters is that it will never end the enemy will make sure of that he will always show you one more thing you didn't have one more thing you didn't do one more person you didn't experience as if when you get to the end of your life you have to have had all these experiences and i've come to tell you that that is a road that leads to a lot of problems and a lot of troubles it can even become your identity. That's all you are is the sexual drive of your life. You know, people called them playboys back in the day and, uh, and other bad names that you could call men or women who just were so driven sexually. That's all they ever wanted. And they eventually found their identity in their sexuality. And listen, as children of God, your identity is not found in the actions that you take. Your identity is found in who Christ says you are. Amen. Amen. That's who you are, and your identity cannot be found in your sexuality in Christ. That is not how God created it to be. It can become a devastating thing to just let lust drag you around life, finding one empty conquest after another. It's one of those things what you, when you're looking for it, you feel like it's going to satisfy, and when you've had it, you look back and go how empty and how shallow it is. And the enemy says, you know what? That's because you need one more thing, one more this, one more person to be satisfied, and it never ends. Another devastating effect of sex outside of its design is that children are often born unwanted. 
We have a problem in the, the world today is that everybody's just, uh, everybody's having sex. And then the production of that is that often the kids are produced, children are produced. And, and of course, a quick answer to a lot of people uh, would just be to get an abortion. But I'm here to tell you today that I don't know what's happened in your past. I'm not here to judge you, but I want you to know that God's plan, according to the Bible, is that he believes in life and that he produces life. And that Jesus, when he was in the womb of his mother... Mary and her cousin, Elizabeth, were both pregnant at the same time. Mary pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth pregnant with John the Baptist. And when they came together, Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb for joy at being near pregnant Mary with Jesus. That's not a fetus. That's a person. Jeremiah said... (laughs) Before I was formed in my mother's womb, God knew me and had a plan for me. See, God's plan is life. There is no simple answer of a procedure. And I don't care what kind of name you give it, and I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty, other than to tell you the truth that the Bible teaches life is precious and that it is in the hands of God to decide when it's time to move on to the next one. Come on. That's how we must look at it, how we must view it. But the world would say, okay, let's take an easy answer out, and, and, and we don't have to deal with that. Or, or the child is born, they didn't know it was coming, and it's born into a family that's fallen apart, or there's drug addictions, or there's, or there's people that aren't taking care of their kids, they're not raising them in a, in a right place or a right condition, and you end up with kids that uh, grow up in a, a bad household, a, a situation where they don't know how to become parents themselves and then they have kids and this is going on in our world today because people think sex is just a physical transaction that's a 15 minutes of fun on a Friday night and it doesn't matter until a child is born and then a lot of devastation can happen in people's lives because people got out of the will of God out of the design that God has for sex are you still with me today number three the union's Get broken. Notice I said union. When two people come together and uh, they have sex, there's this joining. There's this connection that happens. And it's, it's more than just a physical connection. And, and this happens to both guys and girls is that they are joined and then they are ripped apart. And uh, the boyfriend and girlfriend, they join and then they split up and they're ripped apart again. And, and then they join and then they're ripped apart again. And I, I came to tell the guys out there, listen, God's plan for you is not to just go around and just have sex with anybody and everybody because you're connecting yourself soulfully to someone and then just ripping that apart. Jesus, once again, said from the beginning, this is not the way it was supposed to have been. Ladies, I'm here to tell you, you're more important than that. You don't need to have sex with a guy for him to fall in love with you and become your husband. That is one of the worst ways to try to get a guy. If the guy doesn't love you for you, then you need to find you another guy. Come on. There is this emotional devastation that happens to a person's life when they've given themselves too much and they have been connected and ripped apart and connected and ripped apart. It's not a good thing. It has messed up many people's mindset and their view of sex and and, and they're not able to connect. Uh, Many people, when they do get married, have problems because they've had experiences in the past that have messed up their thinking and their ideas about what sex is supposed to be. And they have a difficulty challenge uh, challenges with it because of the past experience 
experiences that they had that were outside of the design of God for your sex life. Amen. Come on. Look, I know this isn't popular these days, but I came here to tell you truth. We talk about grace a lot, but in John 1, the Bible says Jesus came with grace and truth. And if I didn't tell you the truth, that means I didn't really love you, huh? So I came to tell you the truth today according to God's will and God's word. Yes, God's plan for sex is wonderful. There's a term going around today, and it's called safe sex, right? And it means uh, use a condom, right? That's usually what safe sex means. Uh, but I'm here to tell you today that you're going to need more than a condom and that God's plan for safe sex is better than just a condom. You see, a condom can protect you physically, but it can't protect you emotionally and it can't protect your soul. And there are parts of your life that you need a condom for your mind. You need a condom for your eyes. You need a condom for your thinking, right? You need a condom for a lot of your life. You just need to like, you know, put it on you and, and get ready to face the world. A lot of red faces today. <laughs> the Bible says, I have made a covenant my, with my eyes. I will not look at a woman lustfully. That's a good covenant, man. A condom for my eyes, a condom for my mind. Thinking about what I should be thinking about and, and checking myself. I used to work for a company that was a construction company, and construction workers are famous for being a little uh, perverted overtly, right? And the whistling of girls and saying things. Well, this company had a rule. It was called the two-second rule. You could look at a woman for two seconds, and then you had to turn your head or you was in trouble. Some of us need a two-second rule. Come on. Come on. And when you, you know, when you're sitting at a red light and the car pulls up next to you, it's just natural to look. And there she is. She's beautiful. And, it's, and you just need to move on with your life instead of going, uh, look at that. Hello. You know, come on. Are you with me today? You need a protection for more than just your body. And God has a plan for it. It's called a marriage. Oh, you're getting old fashioned. Yeah, I'm going all the way back to the beginning. Yes. All the way back to the beginning where God had planned for it to be. Marriage is not a ceremony. Let me just say that right now. Marriage is not a document that the government approves of. Marriage is a choice to come into a covenant between three. Because marriage is sacred. It is about man, wife, and God. It's sacred. So if we're going to understand marriage, I'm going to help you we're going to get off into an area, and I'm going to try not to go too far, but I want to help you understand uh, what marriage really is and how God created marriage and what it really is a reflection of. So God, we know, according to the Bible, is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And, and uh, the experts call that the Trinity. You won't find that word in the Bible, but the principle is in the Bible everywhere. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each one of those persons is fully God, not a third of God, fully God. And all of them together are one. Now, that's a mystery that our minds can't comprehend, but to say that we don't understand God is probably the right thing to say, isn't it? And so we understand God as a trinity. Now, here's the thing about the trinity. you got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You picture this triangle with me right here? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is a connection between them. They are in union, united with one another, three as one. Do you have that? 
Now, you and I as children of God, our safe place is in Christ in the Trinity. In other words, in that triangle is where we're safe. However, as children of God, inside the safety of the Trinity, we can never become one of the Trinity. That connection between them is only for them. Are you, are you with me? They love one another. Jesus said, I love the Father. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. Everybody, all of the Trinity is love. And and I'm going to talk about that down the road sometime. But the Trinity has this wonderful, beautiful love for each other and for us. And when we become children of God, we can go into the Trinity, but we can never become a part. We're never the fourth person in the Trinity, right? We're the children of the Trinity. Now your life, your, your personal life is a reflection of the Trinity, spirit, soul, and body. There are three parts of you that make you one person, but not only that, but the family is that way too. It is husband, it is wife, and it is God. Husband, wife, God, husband, wife, God, in a sacred covenant that lasts until death in this life, till death do us part. Jesus said that's the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. I can't tell you how many times I've done weddings and I'm saying the words, till death do you part, and they're repeating them. And in my mind, I'm thinking they don't believe a word they're saying. They, they're, they don't know the gravity of what they're saying till death do us part. Or until maybe I don't feel like it anymore, or we have some problems, or this or that. Listen, the Bible gives some small reasons for divorce, but Jesus said it was because of the hardness of your heart that it started in the first place. It was never God's design or plan, but it was a design of a covenant between husband, wife, and God until death do you part. Now, there is safety in the marriage. Now, watch this. Children can become A part of that, in the center of that, but I want you to get this, but your children will never become a part of husband, wife, and God joined in covenant. So for some of you out there who say, I'm going to put my kids before my spouse, you're missing it. That is one of the reasons you haven't got it correct. Because let me tell you what's going to happen to your kids. They're going to grow up. They're going to leave their father and mother, and they're going to make their own little trinity of family somewhere else. Uh huh. See, they're not really your kids. They're God's kids. You're just raising them, training them so that when they get old enough, they can go do their thing that God called them to do. Their lives don't belong to you. They belong to God. Oh, I'm getting nosy now. You know. But there is safety in this triangle. Marriage, man, wife, God. There's a covenant and there's a safety in there. So what you have in the safe place of the marriage covenant is that desires are satisfied safely. I never go to the doctor and say, hey, you know what, doc? I need to see if I got VD, if I got some other kind of disease. You know why? Because I keep it in the safety of the marriage covenant, and my wife does too. Come on. Come on. It's just getting real, right? There is safety. The desire can be satisfied safely. You know how good it is to just be yourself in every way possible and know that your wife loves you anyway. Amen. I was telling Harold, he said I look sharp this morning, but I got some warm-ups at home and a T-shirt that I wear that I don't look sharp in. But they're comfortable. And he's like, well, yeah, your wife loves you anyway. I'm like, you bet she does because she's under contract to love me. It's called a covenant. She's got to love me just like I am. I mean, I can let it flow, and she loves me anyway. Hallelujah. The desire can be satisfied. It's a godly desire. It's a good desire. It can be satisfied safely. Within the marriage covenant. Number two, children are a blessing 
even when you weren't expecting them. Woo, come on. It's like, oh, okay, you're pregnant? Wow, I wasn't expecting that, but you know what? That's pretty awesome. We'll figure out the money. We'll figure out everything. You've got father and mother and everything, and uh, God is going to bless us and make this work out. Now, let me take a sidebar here for just a moment, because if you're in a non-traditional family where it's just mom or it's just dad or something like that, God makes beautiful families out of every situation. Come on. Come on, and God becomes the father of the fatherless, and I believe the mother of the motherless, amen? And he will fill in the gaps in your situation, yes? Come on, hallelujah. So then children become a blessing. Two people love them, care for them, want to take care of them, and, 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 and uh, uh, can raise them together, and what a wonderful thing it is. Now, once again, sometimes life happens. Soldiers go off to war and don't come home, and mom raises the kids alone, and other people step up and fill in the gap, and God does too. We understand that. A third thing that is a protection for your life is that the joining together of the spirit souls of two people enhances the marriage you catching that every time husband and wife have sex with each other they are they are expressing and connecting one flesh together again it's become more connected more loving more one more of this instead of separating and disappearing it's getting closer together and closer to god's plan and what a wonderful incredible thing it is paul said uh, even talked about it in the new testament he said look when you're married your body belongs to your spouse your your body ladies belongs to your husband husband your bodies belong to your wife and you should allow the other person the things that they need so that they will be satisfied and he said the only time you need to separate yourself sexually is so that if you're both going to spend some time in prayer is what he said you're going to like stay away from anything physical and you're going to spend some time in prayer over something special right so every one of the people out there who are using sex as a weapon in your marriage like if you want to have some of this you got to do what I want you to do that is not God's plan for your life I just messed up a whole lot of strategies this morning there are a whole lot of men going, uh-huh, I told you, see? Because it doesn't work for men, does it? <laughs> it's like, uh, you do what I say or you're not getting any of this. <laughs> She's like, whatever, dude. <clears throat> All right, we move on. Hallelujah. It becomes a connector in the marriage it helps join the two in one flesh what a beautiful and wonderful thing that it is sex is a wonderful powerful thing and it does amazing wonderful things in your life as long as it is in the design that god has it for once again it's not about limiting your life it's about putting your sex life in the place that it belongs it's about picking that turtle up off the beach and putting him back in the water because you know that's where he will live and thrive and do well and so when we try to get our lives, our, our minds, our thoughts, our actions into the will of God, we're allowing our sex life to thrive to the best of its ability, the most that it can possibly be. But I want you to know that the enemy wants to destroy you. 
The Bible says the enemy is seeking whom he may destroy and kill, and he does it with lies. And the lies that he's telling people is that the lust you have is just some natural thing that happens, and you just need to pursue it and fulfill it, and that'll make you happy and satisfy the longing in your soul. But, but I want you to know you'll never be sexually satisfied if you let lust just drag you around and you let those feelings inside of you control your actions. Come on. Sometimes you may have the feelings that you need to say no to because you're a disciplined child of God. Somebody. Come on. A disciplined child of God. But the enemy knows if he can lead you astray with lust, he will get your life messed up. He wants you to get into bad situations. He wants your heart being put into a connection with another person and ripped back apart. He wants you emotionally connected to this person and that person. And he wants to drag your life through this uh, mess so that he can tear your life apart. His plan is not a good one. God's plan is a good one. Come on. Now the world, you know how, how sex is in the world. I mean, uh, there's stories about when Lucille Ball was on television. I love Lucy, how they had two twin beds separated from each other in the bedroom to symbolize they didn't, they didn't ever even sleep together. That's a little ridiculous. Um, and then I remember the Dukes of Hazard when I was younger. Daisy Dukes had those short cut-off pants, and everybody was like, oh! Oh my God, you can see the tops of her legs, right? <laughs> and, and now you can turn, you can't turn on a television show without some gratuitous sex scene in the middle of it. And most of the time, there's no purpose in it other than just to show some nudity. It has nothing to do with the story. And if you're like me, you'll be watching a movie or something. You'll get there and you go, oh, here we go. Fast forward and then play. It's because it has nothing to do with the story. It didn't add to it. It just gave some people a chance to look at some skin for a little while. That's what's going on in the world today. And we've reached a place where in the past, people kind of had a natural biblical view of sex. But we've come to a place now where that's not necessarily the case. And if you think your kids are being taught a biblical view of sex in the world, let me promise you they are not. The school is not teaching them that. Their friends are not teaching them that. The television's not teaching them that. Now, I can talk about this subject from time to time, but moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you're going to have to take the lead in talking about this at home with your family. Because what they're hearing out there is that God's way is a terrible way. It's a discriminatory way. It's an awful way and that you're a hateful, terrible person if you believe what the Bible says about sex. And you have to be the one that says your teacher's wrong, your school's wrong, your neighbors are wrong, that show is wrong, what you're seeing is wrong. Let me tell you what is really the truth. This is what we believe. Listen, you've got to give your kids a fighting chance. Don't leave it to society to teach your kids about what sexuality is. You've got to do it yourself. Come on, it may be uncomfortable, but at some point you're going to have to have that conversation because if you're not teaching your kids, somebody else is. Amen? The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but God wants to give blessing and goodness and life, and he's got a good plan for your sex life. So how do we conduct ourselves as children of God? Let me read to you 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. And if you go to Google and put scriptures about sex, you just type that in, you will find a bunch of scriptures about sex. The Bible talks about it a lot because it's an important part of your life, and it can get twisted. It can be a mess. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Paul says, look, I'm going to give you some instructions on how to conduct your life. I know you're doing good, but we can even do better. That's basically what he's saying there. For you know... What commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is the process where God is improving the fleshly parts of your life so that you become better, more like Christ, and a better example, better to be used by God out there in the world. It's growth in our life. We all want that, right? For this is the will of God, your sanctification or growth, and that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you, watch this, know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and in honor. God expects you as children of God to know how to possess your body in honor and in holiness. Come on. Somebody else is not in charge of that you are that you would possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor not in lustful passions like the gentiles who do not know god oh this is just where the rubber meets the road isn't it so like while the world is out there just letting their passions drive them to any actions they feel like having you possess control and discipline over yourself And you conduct yourself in holiness the way God wants you to conduct yourself. And while people laugh at you because you say, well, I don't do that. I'm waiting. Or you know what? I don't run around or I don't look at other women. I'm happily married and I have a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to look at another woman lustfully. When people laugh at you for saying stuff like that, you just stand strong. And you just hold on to yourself, hold on to what God has you to do. You're his child. You conduct yourself in honor, not like the rest of the world does. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matters because the Lord is the avenger in all things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification or holiness. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you reject what God says about sex, you're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting my sermon. My, my, this is not me and my opinions. It'd be a whole lot easier for me to go with the world. I'd catch less flack that way. What you're rejecting is God's plan. Come on. And God's plan is a good plan. So God expects his children, his people, to conduct themselves with discipline and with honor. Come on. Amen. Sex is a powerful thing. Just like the lawnmower. You can do some wonderful things with it. Just like a chainsaw. Just like a car. Just like a gun, there's some wonderful things that can be used, it can be used for, but if it's used in the wrong way, at the wrong time, by the wrong person, it can cause devastation and damage. And so for, for those of you out there, let me talk to you men for just a second before I close. Listen, if you are pursuing to conquest and you think it isn't doing any harm, you have, you have to think differently. You, you might look at this woman at your job and think, you know what, we could have a fun time together. But that's not what's really going to happen. Sex is a powerful thing. What you're going to do is probably harm her. You're going to wound her deeply. You're going to get her connected to you spiritually, and then you're going to pull yourself away, and you're going to devastate her life. You're going to harm her. 
And you have to look at her as someone who needs to be loved, not just uh, uh, fondled over. I wouldn't do that to that woman, even if she'd let me, because I know it would harm her. Because sex is a powerful thing. I don't just take my lawnmower and pick it up and do the hedges with it. No, that's not what you do with it. Are you hearing me? Ladies, let me talk to you out there. If having sexual experiences with men makes you feel satisfied and somehow it validates you that you feel like some man loved you because he wanted you physically, let me tell you a secret. That's not a big deal. You can, any woman anywhere can go out and find a man who wants them just like that. It doesn't validate you. You're getting your validation from the wrong place. Your validation of your worth is that Jesus came and he loved you so much that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And that's what really matters. And you don't need a man to express something to tell you that. Come on. Come on. What you need is to get your validation from God and wait for the man who's going to say, you know what? Even if we could never have sex again, I still love you. I still want to be with you. You are mine for life. I'm in this till the end. That's what this is about for me. Come on. Sex is a powerful thing. And when it is in the design and will of God, it is amazing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But if it's outside of God's design, it can cause a lot of devastation and problems. So what I want for you today is I want you to pray and I want you to plan and I want you to think about your sex life and what God has for you. Not just the act, but like the, the mindset. Come on, put a, put a condom on your eyes. Put a condom on your mind, so to speak, and protect yourself. From some of the stuff the world is saying to you and telling you and say, you know what? I'm not going that direction. I'm going to get in the center of God's will and plan because I know that God's got something amazing for me that's better than anything the world has to offer. Father, I just want to pray for these people today, God. I want to thank you that they allowed me to share such an intimate subject with them today. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would show them your love, your compassion for their lives. Let them know that today is not about judgment. It's not about looking at their past or their situation, God, but it's really about helping them see God's plan. And Holy Spirit, I trust that you will work with them individually and that you will talk to them and speak to them and guide them into the decisions they make, the way they look, the way they think, the way they act, the way, the way they conduct themselves, Holy Spirit. Begin to help each individual person get their sex life in the center of God's will. So that they're not listening to the world or listening to other people, but they're listening to what God has said. So that they can thrive. They can, they can accomplish and become and experience what God's plan for them is. Father, I pray for marriages today, Lord. That that connection, that trinity, husband, wife, and God... That sacred covenant will not be broken for silly, frivolous reasons, God. But they would become one together and grow together and share together. And, and they would experience the wondrous, inexpressible joy that comes when two become one flesh in that covenant, God. I just pray that everyone experience that at some point in their life, Lord. And there may be some people here today who are waiting on the right partner in their life, God. And they're, they've been faithful to wait as you've told them to. And, Father, I just thank you for that. And I pray, God, that if it's your will, Lord, you would open the door. You'd help them find the right person for their life, the God person, 
the person that's God's plan for them, the person that is till death do us part, who truly wants to become one flesh with them, God. I just thank you for that, Lord. Father, I just pray that you'd help us take this to heart, learn, Lord Jesus, from your word, and grow in it. In Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. Do you still love me?